we pray that you would take these offerings and tithes and gifts and just use them for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom. Father, we pray for your presence this morning. We ask that the Holy Spirit would dwell with us. And as we turn to your word, we ask, O God, that you would help us to be taught from it this morning, that you would lead us and guide us in the pathway of righteousness. So bless us together as we offer our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) You'll be glad to know that um, I'll not be preaching in Romanian this morning. It'll be a Scottish tongue, and it'll be from the Word of God. Just before we do that, there's one uh, notice in the What's On. There's a couple of dates that have been uh, kind of mixed up. Uh, The date for the special report is on Wednesday the 16th of August, because at the back it's got the 9th of August. So just to make that clear, it's definitely on the 16th of August. And I know that because when it was announced, I looked at Isabel, she looked at me and we said, that's a nice way to spend your anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) So it's definitely the 16th. Let's turn to the Word of God then in James chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it, it is no, sorry, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And just one verse from Proverbs 4. Verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Many a person has said of the Christian faith, Oh, it's only a list of do's and don'ts. A list of rules, you can do this, and you can do that. But of course, we know that once a sinner is saved from 
the damnation of hell and separation from God, he or she has a new and a living relationship with the living God, which is an intimate relationship, a personal one. And this relationship is what we as the people of God need to cultivate. We use that word quite often. It's an interesting word, the word cultivate. It's simple in its meaning, and we can apply it to each of our lives. It means to work the land, preparing for crops, preparing the soil to grow vegetables or whatever. And if it's not prepared properly, then we'll not grow much. It also means to loosen the soil, breaking it up with a tool, especially before sowing the seed. And if we are to grow, as God's people, we need to cultivate our hearts. And we need to do so continually. In 1 Peter 2, he writes, Like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow thereby. And that tool that we need to grow is the word of God. Now, Peter might be speaking here to young or newly converted But we don't just suddenly arrive in our Christian lives and say, well, I've arrived, I know it all. No, we need to cultivate continually that we may grow and we need to get rid of the weeds of sin in our lives. Those of us who are maybe gardeners, green-fingered, these days the, the weeds seem to grow more than the plants do. And we need to continually get rid of those weeds. We need to cultivate. And that's what we need to do with our hearts continually. And in this passage that we read in James 4, especially in verses 8 and 9, there's four simple things I want to leave with you this morning. And they all begin with C. So that's probably pretty easy to remember. So the first C is found in verse 8. It says, come near to God, draw near to God. And that first C for us today is communion. Now, we've not to get confused here. As these words are written to Christians, we might say, well, why do I need to come near to God? Surely I'm saved, I'm there already. But the Bible is prolific in the many different ways it paints a picture for us. And it's analogies and how it draws to describe the Christian's position. Maybe a couple of examples. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And then in Colossians 1, verse 27, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we we may think that that might be a, a contradiction, but they're both true, they're both correct. Each phrase written is perfectly accurate and holds a wealth of truth for us as believers. So we need not to be confused or puzzled with these statements. Come near to God. It has significant meaning to us this morning. And Peter says under the inspiration of God, he says draw near to God. It's not a one-off drawing to God. 
No, it's as close as we can get to the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in that communion sense. The clear message from this text is that we need a, we need a constant need to do so. And it's a mistake that many Christians make today. That because they maybe belong to a sound biblical church which preaches the whole counsel of God and they pray regular and read the scriptures regular, that, that gives us an automatic walking with God. But beware, brothers and sisters, this morning, it is possible to be diligent in our faith but distant in our relationship. Possible to be diligent in our faith, but distant in our relationship, or our communion with God. It's like maybe the marriage ceremony. It's a, an hour maybe it lasts for, but it, the relationship is for a life. In the Christian life, we need to draw near to God, just as the writer to the Hebrews says, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, we need to do that continually. I'm not telling you anything new here this morning. I'm telling you and I, because I need to be reminded of that. Drawing nigh to God is not the duty of an hour, but it's a work of a lifetime. Our second C is that it should characterize our walk with God is cleansing. Part B of uh, that verse 8 says, Cleanse your, heart, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, we could say that this is for the unconverted, is it not? But no, it's for us. It's for the people of God. When James uses this word, you sinners, he's implying that they were Christians living substandard lives. They were saved by grace, yes. But maybe sinners by disgrace. And James urgently calls them back to an obedient walk with the living God. I would have to say that the Christian church today, especially in the United Kingdom, has been eroded away by Christians that live substandard lives. Christians who allow certain things to creep in to their lives, to the life of the church. And yes, pastors and elders too, who are to lead by example. Things that would never have been allowed years ago, but today you see the world can creep into our lives. The world can creep into the life of a church, ruining its purity, ruining its holiness. Christian brother and sister this morning, don't let worldliness creep in to your heart and your mind. It creeps in, you see, and it ruins that communion that we have with God. 
And James' language is almost identical to the psalmist. In 24, verse 3 and 4, he says, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. As far as our relationship with God is concerned, there can be no communion without cleansing. James moves on to the second part of that verse in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's quite a mouthful. That's quite a mouthful to hear this morning from the Word of God. And James pinpoints two serious defects here. He says, wash your hands, and that's the first one, which we know has nothing to do with how clean or how dirty our hands are. It's a reference to the actions performed by the Old Testament priests who prior to entering the tabernacle went through an elaborate cleansing and cleaning and washing of their hands in the sight of the people. It was a visual aid, you see, showing that no man could enter into God's holy presence with dirty hands, with unconfessed sin. And Paul uses the same imagery here of hands when dealing with the subject of prayer. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. And the crucial point here is not that we literally must lift our hands in air, but the crucial and all-important word here is we lift up holy hands. Are our hands holy if we seek to draw near to God? We do it in a spirit of confession and repentance when we confess our sins to God. He's not looking for a physical performance from us. He's looking for spiritual penitence. And the second defect is divided hearts. James says, purify your hearts, you double-minded He doesn't mess about here with the Christian. He says it as it is. (coughs) He knows the deep understanding of the heart of man. And that's one thing that is really detestable in the life of a Christian. That one who has two faces. One who is nice to your face. But when your back's turned, your character is ripped apart. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We need to practice. We need to live it. We need to use it. We need to follow it. We need to perform it. And we need to act in it. And if you cannot say to your brother and sister, to their face, then don't say it at all. Draw near to God. Purify your hearts. That's what the challenge is here from James. That's what the challenge is to my heart this morning. James begins with the hands, you see. The outward, individual, specific sins. But then he reaches into the heart of man where the source of the trouble lies. Just as Jesus says in Matthew 
15 verse 19 out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. The list goes on, which is precisely why we read that verse in Proverbs 23. Above all else, guard your hearts, for out of it is the wellspring of life. Do you ever find yourself being torn between God and the world? Alec Moiter calls this the sin of being two-faced with God. And that is the warnings of James. Purify your hearts, he says, you double-minded. I, I must root out. That our hearts might be consecrated to God, to the Lord our God. You know, when the Lord Jesus was led into the wilderness in Matthew 4, the devil tried to divide and tempt him. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world and their glory if you'll only fall down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan. Be gone. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, and him only shall you serve. Oh, may our hearts and lives be cleansed by the purifying of our hearts. The third C is concern. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So what's James saying here to us? Remember this whole section is directed to Christians who were out of step with God. And one of the surest signs of a Christian who is backslidden is when they carelessly treat unrepented sin. And when they do get round to it, it's done so coldly. In a mechanical way, with no feelings of guilt and no true spirit of repentance. You know, one of the, the, the most challenging verses in the Bible is without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Boy, that, that really challenges my heart. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. James says to us, be wretched and mourn and weep. Mourn, that's a Greek word for pentheusate, and it's exactly the word we use for the kind of sorrow that surrounds death. And then wail is the Greek word cloyusate, the word we use for outward weeping of a broken-hearted mourner. And taken together, these words call for a deep, broken-hearted sorrow for sin. I wonder when we last felt like what James felt. When did we last mourn and groan within our own souls over a particular sin, maybe, of our own hearts? Or maybe we've, when we look and see sometimes the lukewarmness of our own souls. When did we last weep 
and mourn for a family member, a loved one, who's still on that road to perdition. Maybe on occasions we've ministered to them in some small way, pointing them to Christ. Maybe we've given them some literature to help them. We might do these things, but is our heart breaking for their souls this morning? Can we say we are really in communion with God in that sense? Should we not be more often on our knees in prayer, asking God to be gracious that he might come and open the eyes of our loved ones who are on that wide and broad road that leads to destruction? Should we not be more often like what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, streams of tears flow from my eyes, For your law is not obeyed. All around us, the ungodly have their laughter. They know nothing of mourning and weeping for the souls of men. I was at a funeral last Friday. It was the first ever humanist funeral I had attended. And it was so sad. Nothing to offer. A hundred odd people shuffling in, shuffling out. No words of comfort. No words of eternity spent with a God who loves us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. Oh, they had a laugh. I heard someone say that's the best laugh I've ever had at a funeral. And okay, there was a couple of things that were funny in a different context, but no offer of hope, no offer of a saviour, no offer of Christ. The world's humour, you see, is drawn from immorality. Things that we see and hear now in our televisions And Christian, there's a button that says off and on. And how often do we not press that button? We see it all around us. Things that we never would have seen 20 odd years ago. Drunkenness. Blasphemy. Ridiculing the Christ who died on a cross for you and I. You see, the world laughs at these things, pokes fun at them. And not only should the Christian mourn over the unrecognized sovereignty of God in this world in which we live, but we should mourn when we see the world that creeps into our lives and into our church. When Paul wrote to the leaders in the church in Acts 20, he said, remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. And Paul was concerned for the welfare of the church so much that it moved him to tears. Have we any concern today 
for the state of our nation, for the state of our church? Are we brokenhearted when we see our churches being split by heresy, torn apart by compromise, redefining marriage? It's going to get worse. We see all around us mighty church buildings, splendor in its architecture, architecture, but inside the Christ that gave his life for sinners is locked outside. As God's people, let us draw near to him. Let us draw near to him as we walk with him. And as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Our final C is confidence. I want us to go away from this service today confident in the fact that the promise that he has mentioned, that James mentions in verse 8, draw near to God, and here's the promise, and he will draw near to you. That's the best promise we'll ever hear. Well, many of us make promises and we break them. But this is one promise that will never be broken. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. You know, Moses told the people of Israel, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way that the Lord, our God, is near us? Whenever we pray. Deuteronomy 4 verse 7. Our motto. It's on the front of our what's on every week. If my people who are called by my name. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. What a God we have this morning. A God full of promise. A God who has given us. All things richly to enjoy. And James says. Draw near to God. And if we do that continually. If we cultivate our hearts. Then our walk with God. Can easily be described as sweet communion with him. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Oh, may God help us as we continue to commune with him and be confident that he will be with us for the rest of our lives. Amen.